Thank you for tuning in to the East Sonali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. We update our podcast weekly with new messages from Dr. Richard Sego. And now, Dr. Richard Sego. Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning, if you would. Acts chapter 2. And uh, as you are doing that, in your bulletin this morning, you will, you will discover a little card like this. It says, Prayer Team Sign Up. I mentioned to you last week some opportunities for you to be engaged in a, in a, in a more personal way in prayer ministry opportunities in our church. And two of those, not all of those require a sign up, but two of those areas that we need to be able to build a schedule for would be pastor's prayer partner. That is, I just have a desire to meet with three or four people every Sunday and just have you guys pray for me and uh, pray for what's going to happen as we go into that time of, of worship. So we'll build a schedule. We'll send you that schedule, and you'll know what days it is that you are to pray uh, with me. Uh, that'd be a real blessing to me. I, I tell you, it would. And then those, a little bit more of a serious endeavor probably is the back 40 um, prayer partners or prayer people and that would be the people that right now would be slipping out of the worship center to uh, go to a designated area and pray while we're in here for the next few moments and the word of God is being preached and people are being presented with an opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord we need people praying during that time husband and wife's a great prayer team uh, two ladies or two guys together is a great prayer team so I'm hoping that some of you will just simply give us your name check which area it is that you would like to be a part of and here's what you can do just leave that in your seat you don't have to go hey we make it easy around here you don't have to go anywhere you don't have to take it somewhere just leave it where you're sitting and I know this is going to be easy because this is what we find out every Monday most of you left all your stuff in your seat anyway <laughs> amen so just act like you normally act and it'll end up right there where it needs to be. Amen? Don't forget, guys, today's your last Sunday to get signed up for our men's discipleship on Tuesday night. I think we've probably got 90 or better already signed up, so I'm praying that you'll follow through and get that done today. Well, you know, a vision of clear focus is needed. A vision that is understandable, a vision that is biblical, a vision that is doable is sorely needed in the church of the Lord Jesus we don't want our approach to be like that of Alice's destination in Alice in Wonderland when Alice is having a conversation with that really creepy looking cat. Y'all remember that? And here's the conversation. Would you tell me please which way I ought to walk from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you walk, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if only you walk long enough. Well, we certainly don't want that to be the method of planning as we try to chart our course as a church. Any old direction will not do. Uh, any course will not take us to the green pastures that God so desires to take us to. Moses was in the desert 
uh, with the people and they were complaining that they were hungry and thirsty. So God gave him a plan. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock and the rock would bring forth water. But Moses altered that plan ever so slightly and what he did is he spoke harshly um, to the people and he struck the rock. Y'all remember that? Just a slight change, but it altered it nonetheless from the way that God had instructed him. And as a result of that, it cost him his opportunity to enter into the promised land personally. But here's what I find very interesting. The water still came out of the rock. Now, the people were probably saying, yeah, look at our pastor, Pastor Moses. He's got us all this water. He's the man. Yet, God was not pleased. You see, I don't want to be the pastor where everybody says our pastor is the greatest. Look at all these people that he has gotten us. First of all, let me say, if I've got to get the people, then we're going to lose them. Because I'm not going to be able to keep them because I'm just a man and I'm going to disappoint one way or another. God's got to get them. Amen? So I don't want just people just saying, hey, look, our pastor can get the people. No, you can get people and God still not be pleased. I want us to reach people and grow, but only by taking the path that God has built and designed for us to take. So to try to discover that vision, we have turned to no other place than our one source of authority, and that is God's Word, specifically Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, more specifically 42 through 47. And from this, we are embracing a, a three-armed or a three-part vision. I'm hoping that this is already starting to take um, root with you, gather and grow and go. And last week, we spent our time talking about what it means to gather as a church and praise Him and pray as we gather. And I've said any vision that doesn't include praise and prayer is an incomplete vision. Today, however, we want to move to the second part, which is grow. And the two words that embody grow are the two ships, discipleship and fellowship. With that in mind, let's read the word this morning, and you're going to see this. Stand with me, if you would, in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 2, verses 40, beginning verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This would have been Peter speaking. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Man, what an awesome, awesome revival. And then here's what we see the early church doing after that, okay? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, we're so grateful this morning for the word. God, you have not left us without instruction. 
Lord, it's not like you just started the church and now we just sort of got to figure this thing out on our own as we go forward. No, we have a premier example right here in Acts chapter 2 of what a church is supposed to look like. God, help us to align ourselves with your plan. God, help us today as we consider discipleship and fellowship as we move toward growth and maturity as the body of Christ. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished, Lord, through the preaching of your word this morning. I pray that, uh, Lord, I would not be what is memorable from this service today, but that all the focus and attention would be squarely placed upon you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, having already looked at, at gather and how critical that is in terms of who we are and what we're about as a church, today we want to move to the second part of that, which is grow. And I want to approach this a little bit different than I did last week. In other words, what I want to do is I want to define um, what each of those components are and then talk about it a little bit. And then more as we move toward the end, I, I want to talk about how we accomplish this, and I'm going to ask Pastor Rodney to be a part of that as well. So let's, let's talk about the two ships this morning, discipleship and fellowship, and how that is an intricate uh, integral part of our vision as a church. First of all, there is this idea, this concept, if you will, this biblical concept of discipleship. Verse 42 says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. It was the apostles, the disciples, who laid the foundation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They established the foundation of truth upon which um, the, the church would be established, would be founded. Verse 46 even mentions of how this early church was going house to house, which indicates the use of small groups. And I think it indicates the use of even one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And you know, even if we're just a casual Bible student, you know that the Bible often talks about our progress in the faith, our our likeness to Christ, our behavior, etc., as our what? Our walk. You've heard that phrase before, our walk with God, our walk with Christ. For instance, Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Romans 13, 13, Let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness not in lewdness and lust not in strife and envy second corinthians 5 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight galatians 5 16 i say then uh, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh ephesians 5 2 verse 8 and verse 15 walk in love walk in light and walk in wisdom. I think you get the idea. Walk is a synonym for how we live as followers of Christ. And how we live is evidence or proof of what level of discipleship we have or the lack thereof. Now, I, I suspect we've probably got a lot of baseball fans in the building today. And uh, you know that the ultimate goal for that baseball team is to advance runners around the bases to what? Across home plate. And every time a runner goes across home plate and touches that base, then it is one point. 
Now, they will cheer when someone gets on first base or second base or third base, but every baseball fan knows that the ultimate goal is to get that runner across home plate. And it is quite possible and often happens that a team with the most hits in a game still does not win the game. As a matter of fact, in theory, and it does happen, a team could have one hit, if it's a home run, and win the game. The other team could have multiple hits and still lose the game. Why? Because the ultimate goal is to get people across home base. And teams that lose often lament the fact that they got runners on base, but they didn't have situational hitting, they didn't have strategic hitting, so they were not able to advance those runners across home base. In the church, we run into the same problem. We can get excited about getting someone to first base, which we might say is salvation, and then into the waters of baptism. But we realize that there's a lot more to it than just that as they are in the infant stages of their walk with God. As a matter of fact, the Bible, you know this, calls being saved, getting what? Born again. That's what Jesus called it in John uh, in John's gospel when he met with Nicodemus. So here's this infant Here's this, this little child in the faith. Do we just, are we just going to leave them out there on first base, or are we as a church going to purpose in our hearts to help them, equip them, assist them in getting around the bases? If we do not understand the purpose of the church, then we will stop short of what God wants us to do. We often ask the question, how many have we baptized? It's not a wrong question it's not a sinful question it's just not the best question the better question is how many disciples have been produced that are making other disciples now you can baptize 100 people a year and never move to disciples making disciples let's review for a moment uh, our great commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And doing what? Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. Did you get that? Is there a call to go into the nations? Absolutely. Are we supposed to be engaged in evangelism on a local, national, and global uh, level? Without a doubt. We're going to talk about that next week. We're without about a doubt supposed to be doing that. But that's just one part of it, isn't it? It's, the, it's that distance between seeing them come to Christ and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. There's the great disconnect in the church. We, however, we are commanded, we are commanded to make disciples. It's a two-part process. The first part of making a disciple is to evangelize, of course, and to baptize them. And the second part is to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So we're going to look um, at what it is or what it means or what we should do once a person has come into the kingdom of God, we are called to disciple them. And even to disciple those who have been saved, perhaps for a long time, but there's been a disconnect in their discipleship. What happens in a typical church when a person is one to Christ? We usually leave it at that. We're happy that we got them to first base, right? 
why do so many churches miss that second part? Y'all listen to me. Say amen. I just want to make sure everybody's tracking. It's hard work. Discipleship takes time. Discipleship takes effort. And we've turned the pyramid upside down and somehow come to the conclusion that it's the pastor and the staff's job to disciple everybody. It's not humanly possible. The, the Great Commission's given to who? The church. The followers of Jesus Christ. We are here, according to Ephesians 4, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And part of the work of the ministry is discipling believers. So I think most people would nod in agreement this morning that there is a disconnect between seeing people saved and really getting them discipled. Everybody will say amen to that. But here's my next question to you. Are you willing to be a part of the process of making that right? You need to be discipled and you need to disciple. So when a person accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, our job does not stop there. That is like getting a person to first base and just simply saying the job is finished. I guarantee you there are people right here this morning in the congregation who would say, I wish somebody would have discipled me when I got saved. I've been saved for years and I still don't know what it means, Pastor, to walk with God. And I struggle with the same sins over and over again and I feel like I'm on an island in a sea of people. I believe there's people genuinely saved sitting in our church pews or seats and that's where they're at. You see, we want to get them completely around the bases so that they can in turn do the same thing. Dallas Willard, a Christian writer, he writes often on the disciplines of the faith, says this, discipleship is the great omission to the great commission. And he's right. When we talk about a disciple, what are we talking about? Well, when we talk about discipling, we're, we're talking about a verb. So it is, it is the, the process of moving people from wherever we find them, lost or saved, along a continuum forward to maturity. That's the end game. Maturity. That is the final destination of every believer, maturity. You see, there are other phrases that function as biblical synonyms for this goal, like the Scripture uses things like this, Christ formed in you, Christ likeness, complete in Christ, perfect, developed, full-grown, sanctified, even the word holy. So on a question, I, I want to I ask some questions here just kind of help us out a little bit. Number one, what is a disciple? Well, quite simply, I think you know this. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil of someone. In the context of the Bible, a Christian is supposed to be a disciple. Who are we a disciple of? Jesus Christ. The word disciple is used over 250 times in the New Testament and is only found in the gospel and Acts. However, Acts chapter 11 verse 26 is where we find that Christians and disciples are the same thing. Acts chapter 11 verse 26, the disciples were called Christians in Antioch. 
Disciples then, or discipleship, is ultimately the development of Christians. Begs the question then, what does a disciple look like? Well, let's start where we have to start, which is conversion. Okay? Some of the reason, now listen to me very carefully, some of the reason we're having a hard time trying to be retroactive and getting people discipled and we don't seem to be making any progress is that conversion never transpired. So we've got to make sure that we represent the gospel well and give full gospel presentations completing with faith and repentance and trust in Christ and uh, identification with a local church and then moving into discipleship. So they are converted and they know Christ. That's what a disciple looks like. Number two, they are in community. And by that we mean they value and they are a part of a biblically functioning community called the church. Number three, we see commitment. They have a deep commitment of their life to Christ. They apply God's truth leading to biblical, a biblical mind, a biblical worldview, and holiness of life. We see contribution. They are contributing to Christ's kingdom, and they are contributing to Christ's church. That is, that means that they're serving. They're serving people. They're not there just as a warm body occupying a seat or a pew, but they are engaged, and they are serving. And I probably already said this from this pulpit, but I need to say it again. Nobody here at Easton Alley needs to have two jobs till everybody has one. Amen, says all the tired and weary people. They need to be supporting. A disciple is supporting the church by both serving and leading and, listen to me, and tithing. That's a part of the Christian faith. That's a part of moving toward maturity. When's the best time for a new believer to start tithing? The first Sunday they show up. Because after all, it's just being obedient, right? And I don't have time today to get into the whole tithing debate as to whether or not it's Old Covenant or New Covenant, okay? But it's New Covenant. <laughs> I just don't have time to, tra to track it all out. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said you ought to tithe, all right? Just letting you know. So then, how, what does this disciple look like? They're also sharing. They, they're developing. They're growing. So they are becoming more and more comfortable sharing the gospel on a local, national, and even a global level. So what we're talking about here is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Christ and that's the objective for every person in the building to reach this place to where they're doing all those things and then they are able to duplicate themselves in another disciple here's the third question just asking questions to try to help us have a jumping off point to discuss discipleship what are some myths about spiritual growth let me give you a few of them Spiritual, spiritual growth is automatic once you are born again. Let me just ask you a question. The whole born again analogy is just that, isn't it? It's an analogy. And then throughout the epistles and Hebrews and etc., we see this idea of what babes in Christ. The, the analogy is built off of throughout the epistles, okay, throughout the letters of the New Testament of how we move from infancy to maturity in Christ. So, so let me just ask you then, if it's automatic, parents, what happens if you just bring that baby home, set him or her on the porch and say, okay, buddy, you're on your own? Well, I mean, 
That's ludicrous, isn't it? Well, is it any less ludicrous to think that people can be born again right out of the world with no foundation and we just bring them into the church and we run them through the water and then we just say, okay, tough it out. Hope you can make it. It's, it's just not what God has called us to do. So that's a myth. Another myth, spiritual growth, spiritual growth is mythical. And, and maturity is attainable by only a few. We've, we've kind of uh, relegated this thing to, to some people has it and some people don't. And if you can just ever reach out there somewhere and find this mythical thing called growth, then, then maybe you're one of the special ones. Maybe you're one of the Billy Grahams of the world that can ascend to places that nobody uh, has ever ascended before. That's a myth. Here's your myth. Spiritual maturity can occur instantly if you just find the right key. I watched enough of those old werewolf movies growing up to think uh, there's a silver bullet out there somewhere, right? That's what they say. If I can just find the silver bullet to spiritual growth, I can get there. And, and we have this idea that if we can get people in the right environment, they will grow. Now, right environment's important. We want our church to be healthy, amen? But for instance, somebody might say, well, and I used to think this, okay? If I can just get people on a mission trip, they will take a quantum leap in their discipleship. I'm so excited this morning. I finally, after two years, get to use something out of my dissertation that I wrote I wrote my entire dissertation on this subject in terms of the connection between discipleship and short term mission team members and this thought that we can take people on a mission trip and they're just going to come back and a flame disciple like the apostle Paul for the Lord Jesus Christ because, see, what I got to noticing is the people that I would take mission tri on mission trips over here, and I've taken dozens, probably within, in the hundreds, as a matter of fact, that they would come back, and not only oftentimes did they not catch fire for Christ, I even began to notice that some seemed to back up. So I wrote an entire dissertation, crafted an entire plan on how to disciple people that are on short-term mission teams to assure them that they're going to get the benefit of this so I am going to quote myself today out of my dissertation and actually I'm quoting someone else Craig Ott and Gene Wilson wrote a book called Global Church Planning and in a section there on short term mission teams they remarked he said besides wanting to advance church planning and to increase their own involvement in missions expatriate churches often expect personal growth to take place in the lives of short-term mission team members some even think that short-term mission trips are a type of boot camp that transforms lives you see the this logic though however um, it does seem to um, appear to be flawed to some degree Ott and Wilson refute the notion that serving on a mission team like that would produce a higher level of discipleship when they say this they said the rule of thumb is the greater the maturity at the outset of a short term mission both spiritual and personal the greater the potential for positive impact will be and then though the real kicker is a guy named Randy Friesen he actually did a study on this where they um, took uh, a three-year study of 116 people who had participated in short-term missions. 
and they um, stated in terms of the motivation for conducting the study was this. He said, I wanted a more statistically and scientifically verifiable data that would measure the long-term impact of short-term missions experiences regarding the changes in participants. Well, that's interesting. And what, what they found out was quite alarming. Here are some of the, the results. He said, a year after participants returned home from their mission assignments, many of them had regressed in virtually all of the positive changes they had made, in some cases, to below their pre-trip level. In other words, they regressed. They took steps backwards. This is what he found. Again, he says, most participants experienced a significant decline in spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study in the year following their return home, while pre- and post-change scores indicated an increase in prayer and scripture study went up for most participants. Many seemed to go on a spiritual vacation in the year following their return. What, what's the, what else is he saying? I'll tell you what happens. You get people on a mission trip. They're not all well, they're, if they're not already well-established, discipled into maturity, they go have this wonderful spiritual high. They come back here and they try to duplicate it. They cannot duplicate it. They get disillusioned, disengaged, and we see them back up in their progress. You see the same kind of thing in conference chasers and seminar chasers and people that always are looking for that spiritual high, that, that next spiritual uh, wow moment that they can have, and then they get back to their local church, and all too often, even in our local churches, the pulpit's weak, the discipleship ministry is non-existent, and they cannot duplicate it, and again, they just feel like they're wandering out here in this wilderness, and they back up in their progress. So I'm just here to tell you that just the right environment and getting them exposed to a few of the right things will not produce a disciple. I feel like all that money and time now is at least worth it in my dissertation. Here's another thing that we think. Spiritual maturity is measured in what you know. That's a myth. There's never been more materials, more, more things in print, more things online in the history of the church than there is right now. And I would suggest to you that by and large, the church as a whole, the church universal, is weaker in discipleship maybe than it's ever been. And see, discipleship is not just the transference of knowledge. It's doing life together. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Uh, let me give you another. Spiritual growth is a personal and private matter. It's important in terms of what you do in your own private life in regards to devotion, etc. But it is a body of Christ issue. Here's another one, and you're going to think that I'm a heretic at this point. Some people would say, all you need is the Bible to grow. Well, in general, I'd say that is a fair statement and a good statement, but I'll tell you this, God didn't create you not to be in, in community with other people. You need the Bible, but you need to be with some people that's helping you walk that out and learn how to do life for Christ. You see, if we fall for these myths, then we will not work on helping people to grow. If we fall for these myths, we will not do what it takes to grow. If we fall for these myths, we will become discouraged. We need to get people from first base, which is membership, salvation, etc., to second base, which is commitment uh, to maturity, to third base, which is commitment into service, and finally to home plate, committed in evangelism and missions and producing other disciples. And we need to intentionally do things that help Christians become more Christ-like. It's make one to make one. We must duplicate. We must 
replicate. And when a church stops making and developing disciples, it's really not a church at all because this is what a church of disciples, that's what it does, what they do. We have a plan. I'll introduce it to you shortly, and then Pastor Rodney will come and tell you a little bit more about it, all right? So y'all just hang on. I've pretty well diagnosed the problem. We, we do have a prescription. But let me just move. I told you I want to talk a little bit about discipleship and fellowship, and then, and then I'm going to have Rodney come in a minute. The idea of fellowship. They, they continued, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and what? And fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Somebody's described it like this. Fellowship is two fellows in a ship. I guess that's true. If a believer wants to be right with God and grow, they have to be around other believers to encourage them. No coal will remain hot if it is alone away from other coals. Actually, the word fellowship has suffered much distortion in the Baptist church because it has been reduced to fried chicken and ice cream, you know? We're going to have a fellowship, to which, by the way, I'm a proponent, okay? Just, I'm all for the Baptist bird and ice cream and all that stuff. So I'm a proponent, but that in and of itself does not make us fellowship. Now, you see, we don't have a fellowship. We are a fellowship. It's more than just greet and eat. Now, those things can be an impetus, of course, for fellowship, but even that doesn't guarantee it. It's a lot more than just gathering around the campfire and eating s'mores and singing kumbaya. It means to share an identity and a oneness together in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our common ground. Otherwise, uh, many of us will not share any common ground with others in our church, and it's going to be a hard to experience life together if we do not have this basic foundation. As, as a new pastor, I, I, what I've been in this thing, seven or eight months now, I don't even recall. It's been it's so good, I can't even recall how long it's been. You, you start meeting people, and you discover often kind of one of two dynamics. You'll, you'll get connected to some people on a personal level. You'll, you'll just find out that you have things in, in common. I mean, uh, just, uh, it's, I know Dan earlier. I don't know if Dan's here, probably is somewhere. Well, Dan laid out of church. I ain't got as much in common with him as I thought. But anyway, <laughs> wherever, wherever Logan is, y'all be sure to tell him I said that, okay? But d discovered that he and I share some things in common. We're, we're separated by just a few years in age, but he likes to hunt, and I sort of think he and I are in partnership anyway. Um, he's, you know, he's in the funeral home business, so I always kind of think I'm trying to get them ready to go see Dan. I, I need to get to him before Dan gets to him. You understand what I'm saying? But he likes to hunt, so we, we've now kind of entered into this thing where I usually know when he's hunting, he usually knows when I'm hunting, and we're texting each other from tree stands to see if we're seeing something like that. So I have this, you know, this common ground already uh, with, with Dan. So here's the, here's the question then. 
am I only going to be able to connect with people in our church who do those kinds of things, who like to hunt or watch college football or whatever? Or is there something deeper? Is there something more substantive that I can connect with people on? And the answer to that is, there is. Our commonality and fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A youth pastor that I had while serving in the, in, in the church in Florida before we came here, um, I think was the youngest in terms of disparity of age, the youngest guy that I'd ever called on staff uh, with me, he, I think when we called Jeremy on, he was 23 or 4 years old or something like that. And I'm telling you, we couldn't have been farther apart. I mean, I love the guy uh, tremendously. I mean, he, they, they had their first baby while he was on staff with me while Julie and I were awaiting a grandbaby. So there was a, you know, we were headed off in two different places. He, he fixes computers, I break them. So we didn't have, I mean, he was one of these real techie kind of guys. I called him in my office one day and I said, Jeremy, my, my computer's making this kind of noise. He said, well, what have you done? I said, well, I've kicked it a couple times, but it won't stop. I love college football. Jeremy doesn't know the difference between a football and a basketball. We share a call to ministry, however, and we shared an identity uh, in Christ and though I didn't hang out with Jeremy all the time, I had this deep sense of fellowship with him because we were anchored in the gospel. I think I told the Sunday night crowd last Sunday night, a couple of weeks ago, I walked into a construction place here in town, and when I walked in, uh, Eddie Arnwine was in there. As soon as I saw him, I walked over to him, threw my arms around him, gave him a big old hug. Say, hey, brother, how you doing? You know him, he's always just wide open. I mean, just as far as being, you know, uh, uh, affectionate and all that kind of stuff. So I just hugged him. You know, I know I've, I got to think, what are people around here thinking? I didn't really care. Some, some people, I thought, what's this white man doing black man? You see, I didn't even notice he's a black man. I didn't see any color, amen? He's just another follower of Christ. Eddie had, he had an earring in both ears. Now, if I'd have come home with that, my daddy would have snatched them out. <laughs> Just well, but I don't care. He can get more of them in there. He can put one on his nose for all I can. He look like he fell in a tackle box. It doesn't matter to me. Why? So, so I may, and, but you know, hey, here's the thing about Ed. He, he likes to hunt. And so does his wife, Margaret. But here's my whole point. We can be from ethnic different backgrounds. We can be from all over the country. And I found out right here in our church, a lot of people have moved to Riceville or Athens, Tennessee from all over the country. Praise God. So how is it that we can all come together and actually experience oneness and fellowship? It's the fellowship of the gospel. We share this commonality. A man asked a preacher, can you go to heaven without going to church? And he replied, sure, but why would you want to? <laughs> I agree. This is the part I enjoy. It's being with you guys. It's doing life with you. If my world collapses tomorrow, you're the folks I'm coming to that I'm depending on to help hold me up. I wouldn't want to try to live the Christian life by myself. It's too hard. Just because it's possible doesn't even mean that it's probable or should be done. And it certainly wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable. Two country hicks 
was out in a field and they saw an airplane fly over. And the first, neither of them had ever been on an airplane, by the way, and the first said to the other, he said, man, I'd sure hate to be way up yonder on that airplane. And another one thought for a minute, and he said, yeah, but I'd sure hate to be way up there without it. Amen? <laughs> That's the way I feel about the fellowship of the church. I don't want to go through this life without it. And in the scripture, people, believers are pictured together as, as sheep of a flock. And, and, if, and if they are divided, they are an easy target um, for the roaming lion, Satan. He's just looking for, for that one that says, I don't need the flock. If, 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 if there's somebody you know here that says, I don't know, I know you're here today, but maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm a sheep, but I don't need the flock of God. That's a bad attitude. Amen. It really is. We are built for fellowship. Now, having said that, some of y'all are like me. In the context of that fellowship, I personally need a certain amount of isolation. You know what I'm saying? I need isolation with Jesus, and I need isolation out in His creation. I like to deer hunt, and, and I'm telling you the truth under God this morning. And I, and I really mean this. 80-90% of that experience for me is just being out there in the quiet and the peace. You say, well, if, that, if that's all it is, then why do you kill the deer? I only said it was 80 or 90% of it. There's that 10 to 20%. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I understand some of us need isolation. Some of you are social butterflies and don't like to be alone. I had a, when I served in Dothan, I had a lady tell me one day, said, Pastor Richard, if I ever die, uh, her name was Judy, she said, if I ever die, don't be surprised if Robert remarries in, in 14 days. She said, if he has to stay by himself, he will implode. He cannot, so some people, they, they always want to be around people. Well, I love being in the church, but every once in a while, I just like to be by myself or just with my family. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't diminish the fellowship. It adds to the fellowship. As we are nurtured in those times of isolation, we have more to give when we come to the house of God. So we need fellowship. One thing I love about our fellowship here is I really believe this, that our ground is level. We're open to the rich as well as the poor, the educated as well as the uneducated, the cultured and uncultured, the yard-selling, good-willing, and the filth. You know, Saks Fifth Avenue people, blue collar, white collar. You don't have to be a big shot to come here. You don't have to be a part of the upper crust. Besides, as somebody said, the upper crust is just a bunch of crumbs held together by dough. <laughs> Thank God for the church here at Easton Ollie where the ground is level. Nobody is anybody, but everybody is somebody. Amen? Let me ask you a question. How much of God is enough for you? Small? Medium or large? A.M., P.M., Wednesday night, Sunday school? I don't know. We need people to step up in the next level and say, supersize it. <laughs> I can't get enough of my God, of His Word, His people, His doctrine, His teaching, His fellowship. And in all seriousness, guys, you and I are duty-bound. Duty-bound duty bound to what? The building? The budget? Those are all important things, but no. Duty-bound to each other. 
Why are we a part of this fellowship here at Easton Olive? Because Hebrews 10.25 says that we are supposed to be in church. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That is, you know, that is the, the how or, or, or what's supposed to happen. But let me tell you what the what is. Why do we come, verse 24, back up one, and let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Why do we come? Somebody's dependent on us. We need to stir one another up toward Christ not stir up jealousy not stir up envy or anger or competition or personal agendas but rather stir up love he says and stir up good works we're duty bound to make each other better for Christ don't make Sunday about you but come with the mentality that the way you will experience koinonia is by investing in someone else if you need a friend, then be a friend. If you need ministering to, then minister to somebody. When it's cold and rainy and you're thinking about how uncomfortable it will be to get out, remember you are needed to stir somebody up. Just your presence will be an encouragement. So when you're just feeling lazy and wanting to sleep in, don't make it about yourself. Get up, get dressed, and come to church and stir somebody up. Everything will change if we will start understanding that church membership is based on fellowship, that interconnectedness to others, and the duty that we share. And I have, I have man, I have got to get going because Rodney, I don't want to cut you short at all. You can have ice cream socials every week, which I'd be a proponent of, but this still will not necessarily produce fellowship leading to discipleship. So how do we do that? First of all, we do it through small groups. We're talking about multi-level discipleship here. Sunday school. Don't let the word school throw you. It's difficult for genuine fellowship to happen in a room with a few hundred people. Very difficult. So it's got to be broken down. That small group is where you get to know people. It's where a setting is provided for Bible study and accountability and where you can deepen your walk with God. And I am going to put my livelihood on the line this morning and touch a hot-button issue. Some of you are not going to like it, but I need to say it. Some of our Sunday school classes are no longer a small group. They're little churches within the church. Hey, I'm not disappointed. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not disappointed that 80 to 100 people want to come and sit down and listen to a great you know, teacher of the Word of God. But I'm just saying if we're going to reach, teach, and minister the three arms of the, of the Sunday school, we have got to move more toward a smaller group mentality. And before you all get nervous and say, oh, dear God, the pastor is going to start splitting our Sunday school classes. First of all, let me say this. I like to eat, and I know if I do that, y'all going to fire me. So here's what we do want to do, though. Some of these large, large classes, there needs to be some teachers birthed out of those classes. And instead of, let's, let's lose the language of split and let's think about birthing. We used to birth classes in our church, and I'd put on scrubs every morning. And we'd go around to a church, and I'd have on full scrub, mask, hat, and everything, and say, we're birthing a class out of this class this morning. We're starting a new baby. And we would identify who that teacher was. And we'd usually put three couples with them and say, now we want you to go and build this next class. This is going to be a long, arduous process that Pastor Rodney's, by and large, undertaking. 
So I'm just simply saying to you this morning because I love you. If we're really going to move toward discipleship, we're going to have, when a, when a class reaches 25 people, it's, it's on the upper tier of almost getting too big. So we, we have got to work on that tremendously to be able to do it. All right? Uh, but that class gets together, and, and they help each other, and they minister. Verse 45, by the way, is not some reference to socialism. It's just sacrificial ministry to each other. It's not even prescriptive in terms of something that the church must do, but it's what this early church was doing. So I'm begging you this morning, get into a small group. If you don't know where to go, uh, talk to Pastor Rodney, and he'll get you to where you need to go. Now let me introduce this. I am really running out of time. Julie's going to kill me because she's back there hoarding kids, you know, for an extra amount of time, but I've got to get this done. Small groups, and then listen to me, smaller groups. Small groups and smaller groups. And this is the D group concept. Uh, study the ministry of Jesus. He had the 12 and he had the what? He had the three. So we need the Sunday school class, but then we need D group pods of one primary leader with three or four believers doing life together. And I'm going to ask um, Rodney to come right now for a minute or two and just talk about how our early starts for this is going. To, what's it going to look like? Thank you, Pastor. Uh, Julie told me I had 30 seconds. So uh, <laughs> anyway, we're excited to have a plan to help make disciples here at Eastern Island Baptist Church. And Pastor said discipleship is not just about passing information along, but on your screen you'll see what we believe discipleship is. Biblical discipleship is investing into the lives of other believers for the purpose of transformation. We, we want to see believers growing and maturing in Christ, being transformed by the power of God's Word. So as we move, move forward in this uh, part of our vision of grow here at Eastern Alabama Baptist Church, it's our desire really just to create a culture of discipleship where we would desire those smaller groups here, those one uh, four to four people to one leader so they're having the opportunity to be able to develop and to grow as disciples because ultimately we need to always remember that disciples make disciples and pastor talked about that earlier that that's part of who we're supposed to be we are disciple makers for the believers so we want to make sure that we're doing that here at Easton Alley Baptist Church so we'll refer to this as our D group ministry a discipleship group basically is where one leader along with three to four other people are meeting together approximately we're looking at maybe 18 months and you're going to study the bible together you're going to memorize scripture together you're going to pray together uh, you're going to hold each other accountable uh, you're going to uh, just do life together basically is what we're looking at people doing life together discipling one another uh, again over about 18 months to help build up and strengthen one another's faith we want you to know you're not out there by yourself we're, we're not called to live the christian life in isolation so uh, our first D groups that we're looking at will be birthed out of Pastor Richards and Julie's uh, men's and women's Bible study groups and I'll just say this that's going to be the easiest way that you can find yourself being engaged in a small group is to come be a part of these Bible studies that Pastor and, and Julie's leading and then out of that we're going to birth these small groups and we're going to get into these D groups and we're going to help grow this church uh, spiritually so we're going to look at the, uh, our D group ministry. It's going to consist of about four phases. And uh, first, first phase would be this, is simply to prepare. And that is, in that, those first few weeks, we want to help you to gain a greater understanding as why discipleship is biblical and why discipleship is needed and essential for a healthy, growing, and thriving church. 
Listen, we can all be here together and we can have great numbers, but if we're not spiritually healthy, spiritually growing, and spiritually thriving, we're doing nothing but having a big country club here. And we want to do more than that here at East Denali. Phase two would be the ideal of plant. And this simply is looking at the ideal of each person deepening their understanding and knowledge of God's Word. I don't know anybody in this church that knows all of God's words yet. We all are to continue to grow and the grace and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So we want to help you to gain a deeper knowledge of God's Word. Really just kind of a focus on spiritual maturity. Phase three would be this, simply to produce. That, that means this, to discover the fruit that comes from a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, as believers, we'll always be producing fruit. There's, that's how people know we're believers, they ought to see the fruit out of our life. And so we want to help in that process for you to discover the fruit of what it looks like to be a growing and maturing believer in Christ. Phase four would be this, it's simply to propagate, to, to reproduce. And so this final phase will kind of build on all the other things that we've done over the last uh, several months. And in this process, we want to continue to grow and mature as believers in the faith. Simply this, we want to help solidify the Word of God in your life. For the sole purpose of this is that we want to produce new disciple makers out of these groups. So what, what is the potential of a discipleship ministry? What, what, how many lives could possibly be affected if we were to have a D-group a D ministry here at Easton Alley Baptist Church? Well, I believe on the screen you'll see a chart here. And so the chart just gives us a better understanding of how this might possibly work out uh, for Easton Alley Baptist Church. So if we begin our D-groups, and our plan is to begin our men particularly in, in January of meeting together, but if we were to have 20 discipleship leaders, and if each of those groups had four participants, so then we have 80 people who are in a D-group ministry there. So after about 18 months or so, we'd move into the next phase of that, at the next time we would develop D-groups. And so if our 20 leaders would continue to be leaders, and if at least half of those participants would become leaders, that means we'd have the possibility of having 60 leaders, which then would ultimately allow us to have around 240 people participating in a D group. So we continue to do that, and then after that uh, semester's over, we move into the next one. Uh, if all those leaders would continue to be leaders, and if half of those participants, if only half would be willing to be a D group leader, then that would mean we'd have 180 leaders with the possibility of having 720 people being discipled for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's doable inside of our church. I want you to understand this, as I think Pastor Richard mentioned this, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. This is a long-term vision. This is a long-term ministry, and it's one that will help us to have a multiplying ministry here at Easton Olive Baptist Church. We are disciples that are making disciples. And I know Pastor mentioned this, but I believe the key to this is simply this. Disciples that make disciples are disciples that are consistently sharing the gospel. If we're not winning people to the Lord, we have nobody to disciple. And so the Great Commission, which is our marching order to go and make disciples, involves all of us as disciples coming together in small groups, learning from one another, growing together, but then going out, sharing the gospel, bringing those in so that these new believers then can come in and also begin being a part of the D group. Now, another thing I want to mention quickly is that 
uh, another key area of ministry we're going to begin in the new year will be focused on new believers. We want new believers, regardless of their age, to be able to grow and to be deepened in the fundamentals of their faith. Uh, I want to say it like this, and I heard this in an adult men's Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago, and it really has resonated with me. We do not want to just dunk them and drop them. And that's what we're guilty of so often. We, we want to get them baptized, and as Pastor Rich said, then we want to just send them out on their own and say, okay, you're all by yourself. Well, our goal is simply this, is that we want to begin in the new year a, a new believers class for all ages. So from our children to our youth and to our adults. And right now, uh, Julie's already doing a class with our children. But we want to come alongside of that with our youth and our adults and be able to take these new believers after they're baptized and be able to create a class for them. So this will be a class that will meet as needed. Uh, and it'll be a class that we will be able to use to teach things like the assurance of salvation, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, Bible study, witnessing. It's kind of those fundamental things they need to know and be grounded in. And then out of that, be able to put them into a Sunday school class, into that small group where they can continue to grow in the knowledge of God's Word. We're looking at these classes being about four to six weeks long, and uh, they'll be meeting during the Sunday school time. But it's so essential that we're taking these new believers and coming alongside of them and helping them know that they're not there by themselves. They don't have to know it all because they're not going to know it all. But we want to come alongside of them, teach them, and help them become assimilated into the family of God. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Rodney. Um, Rodney's been a busy man since he got here. I mean, he's already crafted this, this plan for us, uh, developed the curriculum for it, etc., um, and it's we're talking about if you just paid attention there we're looking into like the three or four years from now kind of dynamic before that thing really catches full steam and let me just say this we're 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 springboarding this out of men's and women's ministries just because it's such an easy place to be able to develop that but I want to say we're not trying to create a, a spirit of elitism here you won't have to be a part of either of those ministries to get in a D group. I'm just saying that provides for us the way to get started the easiest, and then it'll just begin to pervade our entire, entire church. And so Rodney is putting that together. He will train our D group leaders and get them prepared to lead these groups and stay on task with them throughout that time, resource them as they are needed. He is also crafting the New Believers class, and we'll be teaching that one for adults, that is, and then we will also be starting a membership class. That is, when you desire membership here at Easton Olive Baptist Church, uh, all this material that I am teaching now will be taught in some fashion um, in a new membership class. Our first one of those will be the end of January. So Rodney has taken everything that I'm teaching here and putting it in a, in a, in a class form so that people that want to be a part of Eastern Olive Baptist Church, can make an informed decision, okay, and, and know who we are, what we're about, and then decide if they, if they want to be uh, a part of us. So here's the deal. Um, we can make everything easy and have 100 people join in a year and maybe keep 20 of them, or we can have more filters to help people to understand that this is the kind of church that they want to be a part of, and then maybe get 50 members and keep 40 of them. I mean, I don't know what those, how that will work out. Now, let me, let me do this. First of all, I'm going to need protection when I leave today because I'm really running over on Julie's time here. I, I'm never all that concerned. You know, but I know you guys, I've learned that you'll hang, you'll hang in here with us when we're going a little bit long, but I'm always concerned about child care workers and people like that because 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard to wrangle those little jokers for that long. So anyway, but let me just say two, two very quick things, two critical things. Number one's people. When it comes to discipleship and fellowship, number one, people. We cannot do this without people, a committed fellowship of people. So make sure you're in a small group. Then at some point, be open to being a part of a D group. You're going to hear that language often around here the next few years is D groups. Or have you been in a D group? And, of course, when that new believer comes out of that new believer's class, he gets taken into Sunday school and enveloped into a D group at some point as well. How many of you, by the way, on the, in the early months right after getting saved would have given anything to have a, a little class to kind of get you started and then get connected with three or four believers that's helping you do life and walk this, this Christian life? I would have loved to have had it. I didn't have it either. So there's people, and then there's one other thing, and there's the place. All of our small groups, Sunday school, meet here on campus. And uh, many of our smaller groups will as well, by the way. Our other multi-level opportunities for discipleship and fellowship all meet here on campus. So with our campus, with our facilities, we must be committed to excellence. They must be clean and attractive, and they are. And, and within reason, we must have the best that we can have. A building will never make a disciple. But it may prevent us from having the opportunity to make a disciple if we don't have adequate facilities in every single area. So I am vision casting a little bit here um, this morning. Um, I, we have larger future plans that I have been shown in terms of some drawings, etc., that y'all have talked about in the past. That includes a gym slash education building and all those kinds of things, which, by the way, I think would be marvelous if we could build those things tomorrow. But here's the deal. We don't have $5 million to go do that right now. I don't think it would be wise. I don't think it would be prudent to jump out there and do something like that. But I do think there is an intermediate stage that we do need to consider. And I think two of the glaring things that we are missing right now is large group meeting areas for students and for children. I really believe that with all my, my heart. Like Julia's meeting this morning with children's worship, she's going to squeeze 30-plus people into a room that shouldn't have more than about 15 or 20 in it, trying to do worship that has activity, game, physicality to it. They're doing things like that on Wednesday night now. Uh, with the weather changing, we've got to try to move all that inside. We've got students in our church that have no place to call their own. No place that's a student building. No place for them to be able to gather on, on a Wednesday night. So all I'm saying is this. We are going to prayerfully evaluate where we are with that and see what kind of approach could be made. Uh, something that I would say bang for buck is far more, far, far more um, economical. Now listen to me, guys. I'm sharing that with you to create some vision and excitement for where we could potentially go. I don't want you to leave out here and say, oh, dear God, the pastor said we're about to be in a building program next month and we're fixing to spend multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm saying we are prayerfully in the early stages of just evaluating those needs and seeing how we might best address those needs. Are y'all with me? Amen. All right, let's bow. We're doing some things this morning that I, I hope are exciting to you. But, but still, I would say the most exciting thing that we get to experience as a church family is when we do get to see people commit their life to Christ. Everything that we're talking about doing today, we're doing because of the gospel. Because of the call to the gospel, commission, the great commission of discipleship and evangelism. And I would just say to you this morning, if you've never invited Christ in your life, I want to urge you to do that. I want to urge you to give over your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him the Lord of your life. Repent of your sin. Be born again. 
Uh, I'll be down front along with some of our other staff team to greet you this morning if that's where you are. I'm praying that you will. I'm praying right now during the invitation time, some of you will seek to sign on to one of these prayer teams, okay? And just leave that in your seat as you as you um, depart today. Say, Pastor, I'd like to be a part of it. That's something that I could do. I, I could pray in these areas. Please do that. Some of you, I'm hoping that will just maybe come to the altar and, and pray and seek God and find out how it is that He wants you to be engaged here in a small group or a D group or something like that going forward. So I'm going to pray for us. Then we'll have our time to respond. In Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for, for the gospel, thanking you for our own salvation, and asking you, Lord, to bless. Lord, I thank you for, for our people. They've been patient this morning. This has gone over a little bit. We've been a little bit long, but they've been diligent to be attentive and listen intently, Lord, and so I'm, I'm grateful. Lord, I pray you bless right now as we go into this decision time. Lord, I pray that your good and perfect will would ultimately be accomplished in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to go to our website, EastonOlly.church, to find more messages like you just heard and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Ollie. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Ollie, email info at EastonOlly.church. God bless and have a great week.